we recognize the fact that the market has allowed all of us to kind of be mediocre, you yeah. know, to kind of take low hanging fruit uh, and get away from really understanding that the lead is our most valuable asset. The, mm. the lead is the most valuable asset in your business. It has to be treated as such. It needs to be nurtured all the way through the process. And there's a lot of us that are making money. But now as things start to tighten up, it's really requiring of us to get better at what we do. But we should be requiring that of ourselves. I love it. Like yep. as we start to really look at our businesses, we should go, you know, regardless, I need to be better. I need to be better. I need to make sure that I'm not just taking, like I said, you know, like we say, the low hanging fruit, the easy stuff mm -hmm. that I'm challenging myself, that I'm making sure that I'm maximizing every opportunity that's coming through my business. Let's not just scale and grow. Why would you grow a mediocre process? Yep. Mediocrity invites mediocrity. You want to be better because every time you get better at every little piece of your business, it makes every other piece of your business better. So in this episode, you're going to get to hear from an expert in probate leads and direct mail. She is the owner of Postal Impact, and she is just absolutely crushing it when it comes to direct mail. She's given away all her secrets. There's a ton of knowledge in here. You don't want to miss an ounce of it. So get ready to take notes. But real quick before we dive in, hang on. I want to let you know exactly where this episode came from. So recently at Carrot, we held our first ever Market Leaders Summit. Now, this is not your average webinar. What we did is for two whole days, we gathered the top real estate investors from around the country and we picked their brains on exactly what they're doing to thrive in this industry in 2019. We asked them their strategies, their tactics, their tips. We wanted to know everything they're doing that's made them successful real estate investors. So the episode that you're hearing today is actually just one session out of the 16 that we recorded live. If you want to get access to the rest of the sessions for a limited time of 50% off, head to carrot.com slash summit where you can grab all of the recordings for 50% off and have lifetime access to them. Now in the summit, we had Max Maxwell who did over a million dollars last year in wholesaling alone. He's given away his best strategies. We also had Dave Brown, who is pulling in multiple six figures, 100% from SEO. We had Christina Krauss dropping absolute knowledge bombs on direct mail and everything she's doing to make direct mail work for her. You see, day one of the summit was all about leads. How do I get more leads? How can I close more deals? Day two was about how can I build a business for freedom, flexibility, profit, and impact? How can I really build a business that sets me free? Systems, hiring, everything else you need to know. So head to care.com slash summit to get the recordings while they're still here. Enjoy this episode and we'll see you in just a bit. Hey y'all, uh, Trevor coming at you again with another session here at the Market Leaders Summit. And uh, I've got an amazing guest with you today. And uh, Christine and I got to know each other, shoot, probably a year, year and a half ago. We'll kind of introduce our story. Uh, but I've just been so impressed at the work that she's been doing with some of the highest level investors in the country. And when she was coming to my mastermind uh, the last two times, she keeps on sharing data and insights and just being crazy excited about these things that they're learning as they're doing huge high volumes of generating motivated seller leads with their clients. Now we'll talk about how she's generating huge volumes of motivated seller leads with their clients. 
We'll talk about kind of the levels that they're doing. She'll show examples of what's working. But the biggest thing, the biggest reason I want to get Christine on here is as we're leading into uh, this market and, and there's, you know, undoubtedly there's a shift. We've talked about the shift a lot on this on this summit already. Some markets, it's going to be greater. Some markets, it's not going to be noticed at all, right? But there is some something happening versus the last eight years. One of the biggest things is follow-up. And I know that's, that's, that's something that everyone goes, oh, I know follow-up. Put them into an email sequence and whatever. She's going to be walking through with data exactly where you are probably losing tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars right now uh, with Leaky Bucket and your follow-up and the strategies that are working to get you there. So, uh, Christina, welcome on uh, the Market Leader Summit. Thank you for having me, Trevor. I like it when people call me amazing. <laughs> you are. No, you are. You're, 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 you're like, it, it's so fun. So when, uh, give people some context here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Myself, so- my, my, I'm going to talk about Mastermind really quick, and I'll toss it over to you. Myself and, and my former business partner, Patrick Riddle, uh, we started a Mastermind shoot eight, ten years ago. And, um, and about a year and a half ago, J.P. Moses hit me up. He's like, man, Christina, she needs to be there. And... Um, and I'm so glad that you came to the first one in Sedona that it worked out. It was fun. Uh, we got lost. Uh, you didn't get lost, but some of us got lost <laughs> in the desert. That was the best. I <laughs> wish we had some of the pictures, man. It was so good. I know. It was a blast. Everyone's all red from the dust. And then the next one was in Charleston. And that's where I think um, I was the most pumped to be sitting in the, in the Uber with you on the way back from the airport and just really you're talking about what you're seeing in uh, – in, in the market and how excited you were during the mastermind too. Just like, Hey, there's this data, there's these, these things we're seeing and even the biggest guys aren't doing this, but when they do this, it makes a huge difference. So uh, it's been really cool seeing what you've been doing, but toss over to you. Who are you? What do you do? Um, and we'll start there and we'll kind of dig into some of the, the nitty gritty later. Yep. All right. So for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Christina Krause. My company is postal impact. Uh, Postal Impact is, uh, we started out as primarily a probate lead provider, but merged into uh, doing lead gen and managing mail marketing campaigns, direct mail marketing campaigns for some of the biggest, uh, most amazing investors across the nation. Um, Everything that we do, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, Trevor, but everything that we do is rooted in data and analytics. So uh, the lead gen that we do, and we'll get into this a little bit because it's really uh, exciting and super powerful stuff, but um, everything from the lead gen to the marketing pieces. I mean, we're huge on testing and testing and testing on uh, different marketing pieces. And we get to do that because we represent, you know, between all of our clients. I mean, we literally at this point have millions and millions of points of data that we can refer to. Uh, and at the end of the day, once you compile enough data, the level of predictability that you get between, um, you know, uh, lead gens, identifying motivated sellers, what's the ideal retargeting sequences once you identify a motivated seller. And then again, we'll get into the follow-up because once again, the data told us that the biggest uh, missed opportunity for investors out there right now uh, is their is the, their fo- either their existing follow up sequences or honestly the lack thereof. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, what we do is we handle uh, uh, mail marketing campaigns for investors from start to finish. We everything from you know generating the lead all the way through tracking all of their data through the pipeline. We're going to get into that because again, what we identified early on is that I can push all the motivated seller leads at you that. I can possibly push at you, but if you can't convert it, it's a waste of time and money. I mean, it's like a worst case scenario. And, and that, that was one thing when, when we were talking about it in Charleston too, because you, me and Dan Schwartz were sitting there, Dan Schwartz ones, and, or not Dan, we weren't sitting there. We were talking at some other thing before that. It was in, where was it? We were all talking sometime. I can't remember exactly when it was, but my whole October and November got jumbled up. 
but uh, Dan was not there. But we were, we were talking about some things, and and you've got one big data set. Carrot's got a huge data set with the online. Dan's got a huge data set with how deals are closing and stuff. And I'd love to see how we can, like we talked about, combine some of that to give people the best insight anywhere in the real estate world this next year. We'll have to follow up on that and see what we can do. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'll tell you right now, there's going to be something fire happening with that because, again, <laughs> once you get enough data points together, yep. the power of it is outrageous. And I think a lot of us are seeing that now, even with you know some of the competition that we're facing from some of the bigger companies is all of the automation sequences and how those automations are actually replacing humans. Mm. Now, that's... Uh, disconcerting and exciting, right? Because what differentiates us from everybody else, from the big guys, is the fact that we still have the face-to-face -face interaction, which is important, but it's also important for all of us to up our game and identify where in our businesses we can use automations so that what we're doing is we're getting ourselves out of like the admin and the data, the, like not the, well, I guess kind of the data, yeah. and we're putting ourselves in front of people now. We're keeping that human touch element, which the bigger companies can't compete with. But again, it's really important that we understand how we can use data and automations within our businesses to make ourselves better as well. It's, it's, it's interesting. Years ago, I heard this quote and I was talking with my team about it yesterday as we're, as we're planning you know, 2019. And um, one thing a lot of people fear is, well, shoot, if I automate out the human, it, is our company still human, right? Like one of uh, the first part of our written mission here at CARE is add humanity to business. And the second part is help people regain precious time in their lives for things that matter. And when, when we're like debating, hey, when do we automate this? When do we don't? This quote really hit me from years ago. Jermaine Griggs, a friend of mine, a really successful entrepreneur, he said, automation isn't about automating the human out. It's about scaling personal attention. It's about how do you scale personal attention? When you think about it that way, you go, oh, okay, yeah, it's not how many people can I onesie, twosie hit up individually. It's how can I use the thing that I know worked when it, when it was individual? Can I then scale this to make it impact a lot of other people and then use that person's time to add humanity even at a deeper level somewhere else? And so I want people to think about that. It's not about removing the human and just looking at how do we make this thing more cost conscious. It's how do we take the humans and move them to a higher level part of the process to increase that close. Trevor, seriously, I can't even. I mean, I think that's about as perfect as you could possibly say it. It's about identifying what's the biggest value that we bring to the equation now. And in this world, in this new culture, I do think, I've said it a thousand times, I think what's missing and what people are missing is the humanity of it. So again, like you said, we're not trying to remove it, but we're trying to use automations and data and analytics and all of those things to identify where are the pieces that we're injecting ourselves that we can remove ourselves so that we can you know, position ourselves to the highest and best use of our time, which I think is that human touch element that we bring, you know, to the table. I love 100%. It. So before, before we dive into the details, I want to kind of set some, some stage here for people. Okay. Cause uh, as, as a market gets more competitive, whether it's real estate agents, whether it's real estate investors, what happens is in general, uh, if, if, if a lot of people start using that same marketing method or the market's getting flooded, whether it's PPC or direct mail or cold calling, uh, you're going to see response rates go down a little bit because there's more options for people. Um, including if you're an investor, when a market you know, got really hot, like you did the last two or three years, in general, response rates would go down because now the seller had other options. They could sell at retail and get five above ask, asking price offers if it was a certain type of property and they didn't need to sell it like now, now. Um, and so it would, you know, your response rate rights might go down a little bit. But the thing is, a lot of people start to then go, oh my gosh, I used to be able to put in, I'm using broad examples, not real numbers, a thousand direct mail pieces to get the deal. Now I've got to put in 5,000 or I used to be able to pay and get PPC leads for 75 bucks. Now it cost me 125. 
And I've talked about the math a lot. We're going to talk about it in other sessions uh, during the, the Market Leader Summit where I'm going to dig in and show you guys the math that's going to help you win in 2019. If you follow this math, you're going to win in 2019. But the big thing is, in 2019, it's about separating yourself from others. We've talked about it there. And one of the biggest ways is so many people aren't doing the follow-up. And I don't want to hammer this too much, but I was talking with the client the other day that we were running traffic for. And, um, and same campaign we're running over here. And th these guys over here in Minneapolis are like crazy great in follow-up. They're insanely good negotiators. They have multiple ways to take a deal and profit from it. But this seems like the wholesalers who are just like, everything's got to be a wholesale deal. Everything's got to be a wholesale deal. Maybe we'll do a fix and flip here and there, but they're not doing anything that's creative. They're not doing subject twos when, when that's the strategy. They're not partnering with agents when that's the strategy. They're the ones that aren't able to make the marketing work because yeah. they're not separating themselves there. And then they're not doing good follow-up. So then all of a sudden PPC doesn't work or direct mail doesn't work. Um, how many, how often are you finding that type of scenario when you're doing campaigns for clients? Like do a hundred percent of them, do they always work out of the gates or there's 50% of them? Like I got to fix their follow-up half the time. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to blow your mind when we get it to the follow-up. Cause I'm going <laughs> to say, and I know this sounds like, like I'm being dramatic. Yeah. 100% of the time, mm -hmm. I would say Less than 20% of investors, and I'm talking about high-level investors. That's who we work with. We work with high-level high level investors. Less than 20% of the time, they have any follow-up sequence whatsoever. Mm. And even when they do, I'm going to share specifically on this call some examples of the things that we're doing wrong in our follow-up. And it's going to be like one of those things where I'm going to say it, and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and, it's, and, and it leads into 2019, and it's why I'm actually excited about 2019. I know mm -hmm. that there's a lot of fear and anxiety around it, and I think we do need to be very conscious about making sure that we're uh, getting better at what we do. Yep. But here's what I think is exciting. The, like, as we work with these clients, we recognize the fact that the market has allowed all of us to kind of um, be mediocre, you yep. know, to kind of take low-hanging fruit. Uh, and get away from really understanding that the lead is our most valuable asset. The mm. lead is the most valuable asset in your business. It has to be treated as such. It needs to be nurtured all the way through the process. And there's a lot of us that are making money. I'm going to say myself included. I'm an active investor here where I am. We deploy our own marketing method, methods in my market. We did the same thing. We were doing the same thing. We were taking the low-hanging fruit. We were making money. But now as things start to tighten up, it's really requiring of us to get better at what we do. Um, and the truth of the matter is, here's what I think about 2019. Yes, the market is requiring us to get better, but we should be requiring that of ourselves. I love it. Like yep. As we start to really look at our businesses, we should go, you know, regardless, <laughs> I, need to be be I need to be better. I need to make sure that I'm not just taking, like I said, you know, like we say, the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff, mm -hmm. that I'm challenging myself, that I'm making sure that I'm maximizing every opportunity that's coming through my business. Where am I missing opportunity? Let's not just scale and grow. Why would you grow a mediocre process? Yep. Scale to be better before you scale to be bigger and then get bigger if you want but make sure that you've perfected the process before you do that or before you jump into something else because so many of us are hiding inefficiency mm -hmm. by starting other things that we think are either we think are going to make us money or maybe that do but it's still not ideal right yeah. like mediocrity invites mediocrity you want to be better because every time you get better at every little piece of your business it makes every other piece of your business better so i think 2019 is exciting because i know personally i've committed that 2019 is going to be i'm going to 
see what I'm capable of accomplishing in 2019 if I'm my best. I've never, I'm 44 years old. I have never, I can never, I can't think I can look back in 44 years and go, man, I gave that year my best. I Mm -hmm. did my very best that year. I had the best year in business that I've ever had last year. But what if I gave my best? Mm. Like that's exciting. Oh, big time. I I think it's exciting. Yeah. So let me, let me toss something at you kind of on the personal level then before we dive into the follow-up stuff, because I always love this. So you, uh, I, I went through something similar 2010 through 2012, had a little bit of a transformation. I talked about it a lot in the podcast and I'm going through it again right now. So that was like five, six years later, which is great. Uh, but what would you say if you were to look at 2018? Because you said you don't feel you did your best. Where are those spots where you're looking at now going, okay, that's a spot I want to work on this, this year? You know what's funny? I mean, I we're gonna get beat a dead horse here, but for me, it is in that follow up. I just I was taking the easy stuff, you know. Um, and if somebody was in my face, I, I'm telling you, I I was bad about getting back to people who would say, "Hey, I want to work with you. Can you reach out?" I was bad about following up with those people. Not even like even making the first point of contact because you know when when we have a lot of leads coming at us, or in my case, clients coming at us, yep. or leads for me as well. You know, we're kind of like picking at it, picking at it, and it's kind of working, um, but we're not going, all right, I'm, I'm, I need to slow this down or I need, to, I, I need to identify where I'm missing opportunity or I need to make sure that every time I touch someone that they're getting the best that I can give, yep. you know? Um, so for me, 1,000% it's that. Um, plus, I want to be even more obsessed. Like this year is the year of obsession for me of holding <laughs> my clients accountable for, to this to the same thing. Yeah. Like I'm excited about like being obsessed with making them better, but also, you know, my friends, my business, like people that surrounds me, my clients. Like, hey, we got to do better, guys. Let's yeah. let's all do better together. I think it's I think it's exciting to do better with other people and not just yourself. Like oh, I want, yes, like I, I, I think it's exciting. I love it. So I want to, I want to use this as a call to arms for every single person watching this right now that, that while you're looking for a new strategy or while you're maybe getting pinched or while maybe you're doing the best you've ever done right now, um, things do change, right? It's like things do change, but the way that you can ensure that they change in your favor is by always focusing on, on turning those dials even further. What are the levers? What are the dials? Follow up is going to be a big, big lever in 2019. Cause like, like Christina said, so many people have been doing marketing, picking up the, the low hanging fruit. 2019, there's still going to be a lot of low hanging fruit. Like it's by no means, I've talked about this in other summit sessions. This isn't where we're saying, Hey guys, real estate markets, like it's not that at all. It's just, you've got to adjust some strategies and you're going to crush it if you adjust some strategies. But this year you've got to be good at standing out from others. And one of the ways to do that is follow up. Uh, Alex Pardo. Do you know Alex Pardo? Yeah. 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 I love him. Oh, he's amazing. So we started doing some deals together a year and a half, two years ago. um, And we were running some pay-per-click traffic. And, uh, and there was this one, there's this one lead that went out of contract down in Miami It went out of contract. And then I literally got an email or a text message like two months ago. It was 18 months after that lead went into contract. And he said, Hey dude, what's your wire information? And, um, I, I said, well, what's, what's going on? He goes, that deal that went out of contract almost two years ago, he goes with our up, we landed it. And, um, that was almost two years, y'all. So many people are giving up after two months. So Christine, let's throw it back on you. Um, you can take it from here, do whatever the heck you want to do with us over the next 45 minutes, whatever it is, and show us your best. So I'm not going to start with (laughs) follow-up because what I want to do seriously is kind of take you a little bit on a journey guys. 
of, um, and it's, it's going to be kind of a journey through an entire marketing sequence. Mm -hmm. And I want to, as we go through, identify some, um, missed the, 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 the places that we see as the biggest, uh, opportunities for you where, where you're missing a lot of opportunity. I mm -hmm. literally, uh, just did a presentation, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago at collective genius on, uh, mm -hmm. which is a real high level mastermind, um, some of the best investors in the country. And uh, it was on this exact topic, which is how do we increase conversion by identifying where we're missing opportunity. So, it. you know, what we've done is kind of gone through all of our clients and said, all right, where are people losing the most money? Where is their opportunity for you to make your process even better? So hopefully this is going to resonate with some people. I've actually even um, pulled in, hopefully this will work, but I've pulled in some examples because again, everything that we do is rooted in data and analytics. So I'm going to show you guys how we've been able to identify definitively that these are pain points for, for clients. So Sweet. let's start with lead gen. Uh, and I know that this is a topic near and dear to your heart, Trevor, because Trevor is absolutely famous uh, across the industry. My number one recommend for anybody who's uh, um, looking to drive leads via website, but um, you know, I know that you're really passionate about driving motivated seller <laughs> leads to people. So let's talk about lead gen. Um, and if you are pulling your own lists or um, trying to identify uh, how to, uh, get, you know, bring the most motivated sellers uh, kind of into your business, mm -hmm. uh, we started by saying it's really important. And, uh, and I still think it is. I don't want to minimize this. But what we started by saying when we started to generate lead lists our um, method for doing that is to go into a territory or a county to mail out a, a high volume of mailers. Um, usually about 25,000 mailers will mail that out. Mm -hmm. As people start to respond, we actually study the sellers who are responding. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to ultimately create a motivated seller avatar okay. uh, for a particular area. Um, we're trying to identify what's the 20 to 30% of that list where 70 to 80% of your deals are coming from. Gotcha. And we can do that. Um, hmm. And you can do that too. The truth of the matter is you're probably sitting already on a gold mine of data uh, within your business. You could go back to your deals and analyze your deals. But imagine how much more effective you could be if you could say, listen, 78% of my deals are coming from people who are 62 years or older. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a metric that you can use to filter your leads more elegantly. So now you know who to target. It's not necessarily that you'll eliminate all of those other opportunities. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we talk about retargeting and getting better about targeting motivated sellers, that's really valuable information. So that's kind of obvious. You know, people go, yeah, it makes sense that we would study um, who's calling in. What is the person look like? What does the seller look like? How old are they? What's their demographic? What does their house look like? Hmm. You know, is there, an, is there a, a, a home age that's ideal? All right. So that's step number one. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you to ask a better question because in our study of the data and analytics, we found that, that there is something even more important to identifying a motivated seller. And what we're ultimately figuring out is that yes, the seller information is important, but it's more the situation that's important. Okay. I want to share something with you, and hopefully I'm going to be able to do this, Trevor. Okay, so check this out. This is, um, uh, this is a compilation of all of the data that we did, uh, or all of the um, 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 lists that we mail for our clients. This, this doesn't represent, I've got my pointer here. I don't know if you can mm -hmm. see that, but this doesn't represent all of the specialty leads. Our 
our um, campaigns are very specialty lead focused. Okay. Um, and it, it, we didn't necessarily get into that. We, we're really successful at lead gen and we didn't get into it for this reason, but we've identified now why our campaigns are so successful. And it's because we're specialty lead driven. And that's because what the highest value is when you're trying to identify a motivated seller is the situation. Yeah. Okay. So what we found when we looked here, look at this, this conversion rate leads to deals. Look how high these top three are probate stressed is a financial distress. Okay. That's, we call it stress, but it's, it's a finance. We, we use factors to identify when somebody's financially distressed divorce these are situational, right? Yep. And look at how the conversion on that compares down here to absentee and equity. So it's so, not that it's bad. The absentee and equity conversion aren't bad, but absentee and equity speak more to the home itself yeah. or yep. the seller itself, right? Mm -hmm. So it stand, like the, the data is telling us, listen, you guys need to identify what are the scenarios, what are the situations that your sellers are coming from and target situations. Here's mm -hmm. what's interesting. This absentee right now for us, this, is, this data is about two months old. This absentee is now up here above stressed. Interesting. <laughs> Why do you think? Is it an end of the year kind of thing? They're like turning a page and they're wanting to shift their strategy or what's, uh, I don't know. part of it. Yeah. But again, now we've changed to situational. Uh -huh, so I gotcha. was okay. originally started out as a seller okay. uh, avatar has yeah. now changed to situational. Let me throw you, throw gotcha. one more at you. That's cool. That's the cool. absentee lead is crushing it in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. The second the weather turns cold, absentee starts to perform better. Now, so it's not hmm. everywhere, right? In California, absentee is not up. Absentee okay. is up in, in the Northeast or the places where we've had snow. Um, uh, cold snaps mm -hmm. again, situational, right? So absentee <laughs> is always a good lead for everybody. Everybody knows that. But once you add the layer of the situation on top of it, all of a sudden you've got a lead that's on fire. So, this so I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, so with that, Christine, you had mentioned in the Northeast when the weather, when the weather turns, um, it starts to work a lot better. So what do you do about that? Are, are you still mailing consistently, consistently? And you just know when, once that weather turns, it'll it'll perform even better or are you changing the marketing message at that point? Kind of what, what's yeah. Oh my gosh, you're getting me so excited. Okay. So the next thing that we'll talk about is marketing and okay. how to like more elegantly target that. But yes, if you're tracking and guys, you've got to track, you've got to track your data. I mean, mm -hmm. I cannot stress this to you more. It's what I talk about every time I talk, but once you identify within your business, what those situations are that are high value situations. Now, you know, okay, maybe I need to be mailing, when, once the weather turns cold, I need to be mailing absentee letters instead of postcards. Gotcha. Now this okay. represents an even more motive or I need to retarget. I need to go door knocking. I need to mm. mail it and outbound call it. I need to retarget them on Facebook. So, mm. you know, as you knit your list down, it's not just about saving money by not mailing out 25 mailers yep. or 25,000 mail pieces. It's yes. Getting your list down to like six, 7,000 mailer or, um, people, but then figuring out how to retarget those people mm -hmm. and get your message to those people. Now you spend the money that you save targeting the motivated seller. Okay. So what, what's the cadence look like? So you've got the 25,000 mail pieces when you're going into a market. Um, are there certain market sizes that you're looking for that would make that work? Like here in Roseburg, Oregon, as an example, we have 30,000 people, 25,000 people in this area. So that yep. wouldn't work here, here, but yep. so let's say you're going into a smaller area like this. 
what would your strategy be? Would, would we have to cover multiple, multiple cities around this? Would we scale it down? Yep. So what I would do and what we do anyway, even with bigger is I would focus on specialty leads because okay. again, those represent situations mm -hmm. and you're right. I mean, usually for us to get 25,000 leads, the population needs to be about like 500,000 and above for okay. us to get. Because that initial lead pull is, a, is still a high-value lead pull. Yep. We're filtering those leads based on studying the demographics of the area, et cetera. But if you're in a really small area, I would make sure that you cast a little bit of a wider net. So, yes, you're going to want to go absentee. You're going to want to go some equity, like do some high equity stuff, mm -hmm. um, pull some high equity leads, um, pull specialty leads like probate. Um, probate's always a huge performer. Lease pendants. You know, figure out. Uh, that uh, one of the ways that I would do it, if you have any experience, like if you're an experienced investor is go back to your deals mm -hmm. and study what the situations were, study the sellers, but study what this, what were the situations that represented your best deals, yep. those scenarios. So if you find out, man, everybody was financially stressed, think about what are the, um, you know, what are the opportunities, lease pendants, foreclosure, bankruptcy, you know, look at that kind of thing and chase the situation. Mm -hmm. I like that it. Yep. I yeah. like it. And yes, you're going to have a much smaller pool of data. Um, and that's okay. You still mm -hmm. study the data and you still, you know, you, you, it, you do it the same way. The more data you have, the better, but you do it the same way. Sweet. I like it. Um, all right. So let's say you've got, you know, your lead gen down and now let's get into what I was saying about the marketing. So once you've identified what you believe to be a high value list, now you have to make a decision about how it is that you're going to market to that list. Mm -hmm. And now what you can do, since you have a much smaller list than a big list is um, you can say, you know, what are the different ways that we're going to retarget this? Again, I cannot stress this enough. You've got to track this stuff and you've got to split test stuff to see what's resonating most with people because mm. it changes with every area. For example, you mentioned, Trevor, a smaller um, county. Those people respond to mail um, pieces and uh, all the ways that you retarget differently. It's not the same for everybody. So one of the things that people always ask me when I go out and speak a lot is what is the hottest lead and what what's working best? And I provide an answer with the caveat that it's different for everybody. If you think about it, it makes sense, right? If you're in a more of a community that's like a tight knit community, a letter is going to work better than a postcard. Mm. And sometimes the data is going to tell you don't spend your money on letters because for whatever the reason, it's just not resonating with the crowd that's here. Mm -hmm. um, let me show you something again, going back to data, because that is what I love to do. <laughs> All right. So. This is, we're really well known, I want to show you first, because let's start first with the piece. Um, these, this is what we're really well known for, uh, and it's kind of where we got our roots. Um, we do really high-end, physically handwritten mailers, uh, and we have tested hundreds of thousands of these things to identify what that mailer uh, needs to look like to get the best response rate. So I'm, I'm just opening up the rope here and showing this to you. We literally have these custom made. Um, but for those of you who are doing direct mail marketing, if you're going to employ letters at all within your business, this is, this is what we've identified as works ideally. Okay. Small or large invitation style envelopes, size A2 and A7 get the best response. So an A2 is going to, you know, be a smaller kind of envelope. The A7 is going to be about the biggest invitation style envelope that you can mail with a first class stamp. Okay. 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 So um, this works really well. Hopefully you guys can see this, but look at the um, grain in this. Um, can you see the grain in that? Oh, oh yeah. 
Yeah. Those craft envelopes work like gangbusters, okay? We've got some other colors mixed in here. Uh, we try to be seasonal. Check out this October mailer. This is That's our car biggest responder. Tell me you're going to get your- Oh, you're, you're going to open that for sure. You're going to open it. There's no way you're not. I mean, you've got the, the pumpkin stamp on there, the orange envelope, the handwriting. I, you're I love gonna it. Open it. Right. 100%. Um, here's another thing that we test because we test absolutely everything. This Euro flap. Hopefully you can see that. You see how this is a pointed flap. It's called mm -hmm. a Euro flap. Mm -hmm. Yep. That uh, gets the, uh, the best response rate sealed with a, uh, an address. Do not uh, that's seal cool. this, like don't lick it or whatever <laughs> it is that you do to seal that. Yeah. Because what we have found is that if you eliminate as much of the barrier of entry into the envelope as you can, mm -hmm. people are more likely to open it up. So if they're looking at it and they're like, do I open this or not? If they have to slide their finger and risk, you know, bleeding to death by a paper cut <laughs> on that thing, then they're more likely to throw it away as if they could just slip their hand under there and pop that back open and read the letter. So it. it's little stuff it. like that. Yeah. So are you guys doing this in-house or you guys have a company that's doing this for you? You know, what's funny about this uh, is that we still do all of our letters in-house because we nobody can um it, we don't we don't really mark our mailers up because we do them just for our, our clients to make their leads work better yeah. um but i've got about 50 people um that like 50 an army of people that literally just physically <laughs> hand on envelopes. it looks yeah. awesome and that, that's what yeah. I, want, I want people to notice this right so and this isn't a 2019 thing this is a, like christina said how do we do our best and, and optimize those those levers thing and this right here a lot of people they go well, shoot this. So let me let me ask this question: How much does one of these envelopes cost versus, let's say, a standard envelope most investors are sending out, or a postcard that most investors are sending out? So I want people to compare this because this has got to be a little bit more. But I want them to think it's more for a reason. But what's yes. the cost difference look like? And actually, it's so perfect that you're saying it because the next example I'm going to give you is I'm going to actually take you through the process of how you determine whether cool. it's worth the money. Okay. Um, cool. But something like this, for sure, you're going to be spending probably 40, 50 cents more on the envelope alone. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, by the way, guys, in case anybody uh, feels compelled to allow someone to use pre-sorted stamps that are live, do not do it. It kills mm -hmm. your response rate. You need a first class stamp. If you're going to do the letter, do a first class stamp. And here's why. Mm -hmm. About two years ago, the post office stopped postmarking pre-sorted marketing stamps. Uh, so gotcha. You don't get a postmark. Mm. So it's very, I mean, I, I, in some of my other presentations, I've got examples of like a mailed first class letter versus pre-sorted. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the difference is so stark, you can't even imagine it. And it's not something that you would normally think about, but you have, when that letter gets delivered, when this letter here gets delivered, you want it to have that clear postmark on it because mm -hmm. then it looks like it came from, you know, a 16 year old who's sending out a birthday invitation or a wedding right. invitation. I love right. it. One, one thing I want to toss out to this too, y'all, and, and I've talked about this a lot on the online side of things. And some people are probably saying, hey, why is Trevor you know, talking about cold calling in the summit and talking about direct mail in the summit? And we're online people, right? Well, online helps to amplify those things and make them work better. But the big thing is I talk about it a lot is there's a credibility score that people are kind of adding up in their mind. There's this credibility score adding up in people's mind. And all these little touch points, whether it's seeing this, the about page or the pictures on your website or the words and how they are, the, the branding or seeing the post, seeing the postcard or the letter and the envelope and how it's written. And like in general, this right here looks like a more credible piece from someone that I want to kind of talk to maybe a nicer person than something that looks like a mass mailed uh, piece. So you're pre-framing the experience of the person before they ever even open the envelope. And that's a big thing that a lot of people aren't thinking about. They're looking at how do I reduce cost at all, at all costs? 
Instead of how do I step it up and really pre-frame the experience with my prospect to where they're experiencing something that other people, other investors aren't allowing that experience. And that's what's happening here. And people might, and Christina said, well, you're going to spend probably 40 cents or, or more on, um, on the envelopes alone, well, what, what happens to all the envelopes and direct mail pieces are getting thrown away because they're not getting opened? Those, those are phantom expenses that many people with direct mail aren't even counting. Or with cold calling, what happens with that first five to 10 seconds of a cold call, if you're not presenting it in a way, Bo Hollis, who uh, is on the, the summit today, he talked about exactly how he opens his cold calls and how he's winning cold calls over other investors. It's the same kind of thing. It's the opening five seconds how are you building connection, getting them to drop their, their, their guard and also, hey, I'm a nice person, open this up and check it out. That's right. And it, it, it all comes back to exactly what we said in the beginning, right, Trevor? It all mm -hmm. comes back to humanity. Yep. Big companies can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, they can't. They're too big. They can't even move and shift that quickly. Yep. Not for nothing, but there's love in this, right? There is. There I mean, there's, there's like, there's, I'll tell you right now, <laughs> with my handwriters, you know, you're employing mothers and you're employing, you know, uh, uh, you're, you know, we're, th th these are people putting food on the table and not for nothing, but I honestly think that counts for something, mm -hmm. you know, yep. and I think it, like you said, and I think you established kind of a pattern. Um, I'll say something quickly here too, by the way, guys. Um, this is uh, more of like the wedding feel, right? Um, you're going to want to mix this up because anytime you're going to do direct mail, you're going to drip more than one time. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we don't want the handwriting to look really perfect. Sometimes mm -hmm. we want it to look, um, one, one of the best ways that we do it is uh, uh, one of our handwriters um, writes, it, it, it doesn't look like a child, it looks like a teenager. Yeah. So it, you know, but, but think about stuff like this. This is how you get better because you think mm -hmm. better, right? And you go, now this looks like an invitation from a 16-year-old to their birthday party. Hmm, you know what I mean? Cool. Perfect. Yep. So you yep. don't always want it to look the same. Um, we've actually had to tell handwriters before, your handwriting's a little bit too perfect. It looks like it came off a, mach a machine. Can you, miss, can you mess that handwriting yeah, up yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Um, so let's real quick, because uh, I want to make sure we get through everything and not take up too much of people's time. But I want to show you something. That's really important, again, going back to tracking the data. So check this out. Mm -hmm. This is why it's really important as we talk about retargeting and, you, you know, do you use a letter versus using a postcard? Do you outbound call versus targeting on Facebook? Here's why it's important to track this information. If I asked you if it was worth your time to either uh, mail a letter or a postcard, mm -hmm. right? I think that most people would respond when I'm out and I'm speaking, most people say, uh, and it makes sense, uh, if in fact a letter costs you almost four times more, let's say, okay, mm -hmm. let's say a letter costs you four times more, three times more, I think it's, I think it's, it's like three and a half times more is what it normally costs to send yeah. a letter versus a postcard. Then what you would say is, I need the response rate to be that much higher in mm -hmm. order to determine whether or not I should send the mail piece, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's why you have to track your data all the way through. Let's look at this. This is an actual example. Uh, this campaign, PI Stressed PR, that's the letter. That stands for premium. This is PI Stressed, so this is a financially distressed lead. And this is standard, so this is a postcard. Okay? okay. So we sent out about the same number of mail pieces, right, mm -hmm. on um, this particular campaign. Half of them got the letter. Half of them got the postcard. Okay. 1.37% uh, response rate versus 0.86% response rate. So mm -hmm. it, as you would expect, it's higher, but it's certainly nowhere near three and a half times higher. No. 
Yep. I can't hide that. I wish I could. If I could cut this off and you couldn't look at any of this, most people would look at that, would stop right there and say, nope, not worth it. I'm yep. not sending letters, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Here's why it's important for you to track your data. If you track it all the way through the pipeline, now let's look at what happened. This stressed uh, premium campaign with the letters booked 22 appointments versus seven appointments on the postcard. Mm -hmm. We got three deals under contract with the letters versus one deal under contract with the postcard. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason ultimately that we determined, and it's not something that you normally think about is, when you retarget people, and this is why retargeting is important, when you retarget people, you have to find what is the message that resonates with your audience. Mm. Just, you can't make the assumption, this, the, these people clearly who uh, we closed, they were never gonna respond to the first or the fourth postcard. You can't mm. say, as long as I send four, four postcards, those people would have responded to the fourth postcard. Yep. You have to ask a better question and say, what is it that made this person respond? What made this person respond was getting a letter. They were never going to respond to the postcard in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now you've hit an entire group of people that the postcard was never going to resonate with. Yeah. What's more is when we took this, all, swung this data uh, all the way out, look, at it, the, the average profit was like $3,100 more on mm. the deals that we got from the letter. And again, that's cool. The people, you know, you're now you have way less competition yep. on the people who opened your letter that were never going to answer the hundred postcards that they got from you and everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. So you have less competition, so they're more open to not having to negotiate the deal. The the deals were even more profitable. Here's what I'm not suggesting, guys. I'm not suggesting that this is going to be the case for everybody. Yep. I'm saying you have to find out what the answer is for you. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to find that is to track the data. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, you know, that we do in our, in our lead gen and in our consulting. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that you should be looking at. Um, and then the data will tell you, the unbiased data will tell you what's the best way to retarget that. You know, you could add a line here for outbound calling and you could add a line here for Facebook and you can add a line here for whatever the retargeting method is so that you can find out what is your hot, what's the highest and best use of your marketing dollars mm -hmm. in terms of retargeting your leads. So Christine, really quick question here. Um, so you sent out about 10,000 mail pieces there. It just giving, giving me broad numbers here. Cause I want to, I want to try to work it back to show people cost per lead here because what, what I've been doing a lot over the years is like getting people to understand the math. Cause like you're saying, when you understand the math, then math will help you win. When you, when you base your marketing off of emotion, uh, then you lose. So with those on average, how much is a postcard campaign? Uh, like with that example, then on average, how much is it per piece for a, uh, um, a letter? So I'll, I'll give you our internal metric. Okay. Um, our, the, the, our postcards run, uh, generally speaking, I mean, it goes up depending on the volume that you're mailing, but 42 cents is the yeah. low end. You guys can get that done a little bit less expensively. The reason why it's 42 cents for us is because we manage the returned mail. We manage the whole mail process. So there's a little bit of margin built in there. But depending on the volume that you're mailing, you, you should be able to get your postcard pricing anywhere from like 37 to 42 cents. Okay. Postcard. Cool. You should then, be able to. Uh, as high as 50, if you're mailing, like if you're only mailing a couple thousand postcards, somebody's going to charge you way more money. Yeah, totally. So then for the, for the letters, what's, what's your guys' cost there? So for us, the mailer, including the stamp and everything costs a buck 59. Okay. That's pretty close to our cost. Um, I mean, you know, 
and because again, we don't mark up our mailers. Um, we do that so that the leads work. We make our money on the leads. Uh -huh. um, but I would say that you would expect for for the kind of thing that you saw, you should expect to be paying like a buck fifty to a buck ninety nine to duplicate that. Cool. I like it. So here, here's what I'm doing here. I worked some quick math. Um, how many how many leads was it? Seven leads that came in off the postcard. And that one, I think it was. Oh yeah. Hold on. Um, uh, the reason I want to do this is because I want people to know the math of this because way too many people uh, have faulty numbers here. Okay, so seven, and uh, you're counting an appointment as a lead, right? Like it was an actual appointment? No, an appointment is an actual, like they, they booked the appointment and went on okay. an appointment. Okay, so what, yeah. what would be where, where it says leads to appointments? Um, how many? In oh, okay. There's a here. I, actually, I actually condensed this down so that it would fit into the Oh, you're fine. No, no big, if you don't have it here right away, that's fine. So, you know, we track response rate and then we track lead rate, which is kind of like a net lead rate. Okay. Um, so we have response and then how many actual leads came from that. So that's what this leads to appointments is how many actual house leads came in versus how many appointments got booked. Okay. I got you. So just using rough numbers here. Um, so if I were to times 22 by 2.5 or 2.8, let's say 7.5, that's about, there's about 60 leads or so then from that campaign yeah, about yeah. that. So yep. I'm just going to do some quick, quick and dirty math here y'all on the fly. I love so it. I'm going to take 7791, which is about the cost of the letter campaign at a buck, whatever that was. Um, and I, I used 4,900. I just rounded them both out at 4,900 yeah. um, pieces sent out. So times that by actually, let me, I need to clear the slate in my brain. <laughs> my brain stopped working there for a second. All right, here we go. So divided by 60, so it's about 129 per lead, okay, which is really solid. And what, what, like, I'll hear a lot of people talking, well, my buddy's getting leads for 65 bucks over here on Facebook for 85 bucks or whatever. Um, you guys could get a lot more, like, you could even pay, let's take a look at this. So that's 129. Your guys' total cost net was 7,000. Your total profit on it was 18. Like, let's even say you doubled your, your cost for the leads. You'd still make a profit, not as much profit as you'd want, but you'd be at 200 and 240 bucks a lead like y'all they could even literally spend up to 350 bucks a lead and make this work and that's and that's probably not even with the long-term follow-up now that's just a break even i'm not saying that you guys would do that but i'm saying understand the math understand your break-even point and then figure out how much you want to spend my kind of barometer is i'd usually like to spend about 25 percent um uh, or a little bit more sometimes to get that uh, of what the deal profit is so in this case you know, she spent seven grand to get 18 back. Like I'll trade that all day long. That was about 30 or 40%. I'll trade that all day long. And that no, doesn't include the long-term follow-up. I literally just sat across from a client in another state, went to see him about his leads. Mm -hmm. um, and this is somebody that, you know, mails hundreds of thousands of pieces uh, a month in multiple uh, territories. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once we have that kind of data, once you know for sure that this is your data, if you're tracking your data and you know for sure what the value is, literally he said to me, I don't want to do postcards anymore. I want all letters. Yep. Now, when you're mailing out hundreds of thousands of pieces, imagine the expense of that, right? Yep. Nobody has that kind of money to waste, but it takes all of the fear and anxiety out of what you're doing when you know, for, when you know and you're watching your numbers this closely, 
It's an easy decision. Now you're not going, I know, but it's only 59 versus 42 cents. If you know what the end result is going to be, it makes it an easy decision. If Mm. this, then this. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to throw one last thing out. Then I'll stop. I'll stop stopping you here is, uh, uh, you know, some people will say, well, shoot, it, it has direct mail diminished in returns. These are recent numbers, y'all. Like, these are recent numbers. So this works like gangbusters. So the problem was people weren't shifting their strategy and they didn't know their data. That's the problem is people kept on sending out the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing that every other investor was sending out. And that's why their direct mail didn't work as well. When you do what Christina's talking about, it starts to work better. The same thing with online. If everyone launches a carrot site and doesn't adjust the, you know, get, doesn't get localized photos in there, doesn't get a good about page up there and doesn't put their branding on there, doesn't tweak some of the stuff and get your testimonials in there, your stuff isn't going to convert as well as a person who is doing that. So make sure you guys are making those shifts and using your data and standing out. Pay attention to the details. It's so, so important. And it's always changing. That's what's really important to, to, to note as well. It's always changing. I mean, everything is always changing. So you just have to pay attention to it. And if you pay attention to it, you can get really, really good at what you do. I love it. So follow-up. What, what are you seeing in follow-up right now with the biggest opportunities and gaps that people have too? Okay, so what we know is that 60 to 70% of your deals, guys, are going to come in your follow-up sequences. It's not gonna, you're not going to walk out of somebody's house with the contract, and that's where most of us stop, frankly. Yeah. Like, can I, do I get, can I get a yes or can I get a no? And then it's over, mm-hmm. right? 60 to 70% of your deals, and wrap your head around that for a second. Look at how many deals that you did and ask yourself if you did 60 to 70% more of that, how much more money you would have made this past year. It's yeah. insane. And the reason why we're not doing it is because A, the market has allowed us to get a little lazy and we're still making money. So it, it feels like a low value proposition, right? Because it's, there's not an immediate payoff and we're all emotional and we all like that. Emo- we, want the, we want the quick W. You know, <laughs> we don't want to play the long game. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, if you know for certain that you're going to make that much more money, if you will follow through on your sequences, then it's going to make it, it's going to become a very easy decision for you to make sure that you put someone in place in your company that is responsible for running those follow-up sequences. Okay. So you've got to get it in your head. You've already paid for the lead. That's the, that's the deal. We're not even saying start a new company, try a new lead, try a new this. You've already paid for it. You might as well maximize every opportunity that's already sitting in front of you. The opportunity is already sitting in front of you. You just need to be better with it. Right. So here's what we're finding with follow-up sequences. The first thing is you just need to do it. If you're not doing it, just start doing it now, like right now. Like you could literally go back to whatever buckets that you have of these leads that you've called dead. Um, We're finding that when we go back to those buckets for our clients, we're immediately able to hand them back warm leads. You know, you're calling somebody and saying, hey, I know that you um, signed a contract with another buyer and you said that you were going to close on, you know, May 15th. I just wanted to follow up and make sure that that actually happened or is there anything more that we can do for you? It's that simple, right? So it could be a combination of following up by by a phone. It could be text. It could be email. Um, Those are the things, again, everything that we do is uh, rooted in uh, data and analytics. Mm-hmm. This is such a need, and we've identified this as such a need for our clients that we've actually created a virtual lead manager position. Yep. Um, and I'll explain, I'll go into that a little, just mostly just because I want to give you guys best practices for mm-hmm. this lead manager position. We'll call it a lead manager. Some people call it different things. But even people who have someone in their offices that are responsible for running these follow-up sequences, we have identified the fact that they're, they're, doing, they're making a couple of really major mistakes. So mm-hmm. if you're doing this, 
I'm going to give you some information that's going to help. If you're not doing it, don't start uh, doing it wrong, right? So a lead manager is supposed to be the guardian of your most valuable asset, which is your lead. You have to have somebody who is responsible for keeping their eye on that lead and not taking their eye off the ball, okay? Mm -hmm. So most people who have lead managers have their, those people taking incoming phone calls. Almost everyone who runs follow-up sequences has that person taking incoming phone calls. What are the, what do you, I mean, just, what do you think are the two major, the two standout major issues with that? If, if they haven't taken incoming phone calls? Yeah. Uh, they're probably not as targeted. They're, they're, you don't know if, if the person is taking the most targeted phone calls and using their time on that because it's whatever's thrown, being shot at them instead of whatever they're, they're calling out from the list. The other one, I don't, I'm not sure there's something not popping to my mind though. I'm going to give what you, you the answer. What you got? <laughs> <laughs> I actually hate it when people do that. I don't know why I do it. To oh, you're good. You're like, good. What do you think? You're like, well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, so two things. Think about the kind of person that you want watching your lead, mm -hmm. like a bulldog. You, want, you don't want them to take their eye off of that lead. Think about that kind of person. You're talking about like a high S, high C, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about like somebody who's very detail-oriented that's not super emotional. It's black and white. It's like this needs to happen and that needs to happen and this needs to happen. Yep. That's not a salesperson. Mm -hmm. That's not a phone person. Yep. Two totally different people. So the first thing is you're asking, and, and people are compensating their lead manager. They're really overcompensating, frankly, their lead managers because they're compensating them like a salesperson, which is right because you have them taking incoming phone calls. You need them to be really good on the phone. But then you're also asking them to be responsible for a task that they're probably not that great at, to be honest with you, because it's a, it's a different personality type, right? Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, if in fact you have your lead manager taking incoming phone calls, then the incoming phone call has to take priority over them watching the lead. It has to. If the phone is ringing, they need to pick it up. Yep. Somebody needs to pick it up. And you can't control the volume. It's not like you can say, okay, you need to keep your eye on the lead seven out of eight hours of your day and the other one hour you need to answer the phone. No, they could be answering the phone all day one day and not at all the next. And they're just like, you know, you've got these two warring pieces with each other. Yeah. So. What we have determined with the lead manager is A, um, they ideally shouldn't even be in your office. They should be in a remote location. Okay. Because if they're sitting in your office, they're going to get pulled into whatever emergency is happening in your office. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. need them to be laser focused on your lead. So you don't want them to do, that is their only task. Your job is to be focused on the lead and monetizing the lead okay. or nurturing the lead through the sequence. Um, the second thing is you don't want them taking in, uh, incoming phone calls. Okay. They're okay to make like a quick phone call here and there if they're just following up on a lead to, to warm it up. But the second they identify that they have a warm lead, you don't want to have, they, they shouldn't have anything to do with it. They should be handing it to the person in your company that is ideal at handling that warm lead. They okay. should be handing, at that point, handing that off to the salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the other thing that that person can be doing from um, a strength standpoint is also keeping tabs and holding everybody else in the company accountable to the things that they're supposed to be doing. Okay. So the lead managers that we're training, we actually have them like doing documentation for the sales representatives. So the sales representative comes out of a meeting and how many of us tell our salespeople, you need to document what happened, take notes, let us know what happened. So, you know, again, if you're going to do a follow-up sequence, you need to have all those notes. Well, for the, from the salesperson standpoint, they hate 
that. Oh, yeah. They just want to get in front of the seller and they just want to sell. You know, <laughs> so they're like, oh, I'll remember to do that later because I don't want to do that right now. And yeah. then they never do. And then you don't get proper notes. Yep. Right? Yep. So at the end of the day, the lead manager's role should be more of an admin role and, a, and a, an accountability role for the people, you know, within um, your organization. The fact alone, we're finding that the fact alone that a lead manager exists and people know that somebody's got their eye on what they're doing that alone oftentimes you'll as we're watching the data you'll see a spike gotcha. like it's the it's the most amazing thing ever and again um it's 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 kind of a no-brainer like it's it's shocking to me how few people have follow-up sequences being run this is an investment that you need to make in your company and it's going to monetize itself and it's going to monetize itself quickly especially if you have a bucket of leads that they can begin to work on and nurture so you want to have them you know, watching the new stuff coming in, but also working the old stuff coming in, mm -hmm. right? So very quickly, because I know that that's not what this phone call is about. We've actually created a virtual role um, that we've been going through the testing sequences on. Um, so we, you know, kind of are uh, training these virtual uh, lead managers. We're kind of injecting the training into them and then literally plugging them into our client's business so that, I mean, you know, like they can just take off like a shot. Because what we've identified, our, our entire business exists because clients have a hard time to get overwhelmed with all the pieces and all the things that need to be done to get this person or this process up and running. Yep. So, you know, we're a business, we're an easy button business at the end of the day. I'm sorry. The thing, thing is too, people might be going, well, shoot, you know, how, how, why are they as an example, launching a service like that when they're kind of more of a direct mail company, right? It's because the more that they can make their clients direct mail effective, the more their clients keep on coming back and work with them. And they found that gap. We, we find the same thing. I was talking about at the beginning, a client of ours, Talking with just recently, he's getting PPC leads and they're not closing like they should. And I'm looking at the close ratio. I'm like, close ratio isn't what we're seeing on the average. It's probably because he's not doing that stuff. So one thing I want to toss to you really quick to just to get this all connected in people's minds. So the the lead manager, let's say you send out a direct mail campaign, someone calls in, who answers that call in the organization? What's the title of that that person? So that's, I mean, people call it different things, but I mean, that's your incoming, um, your, your incoming lead intake person, okay. your uh, incoming sales. Okay. Um, sometimes people have their acquisitions, people taking those calls. That's by the way, not again, not ideal mm -hmm. um, because you want to get your acquisitions people in front of people's faces as much as possible. And you yeah. don't want them to get weighted down with the um, take me off your list. I hate you. Yeah. Oh. You know, they get in their heads. Um, but, you know, ideally you've got somebody in your organization um, or you've got a good answering service or you've got a good system in place to take those incoming phone calls. Okay. So the, the incoming phone call comes in. And if you're a one, one man, one woman shop right now, you're probably answering, like, you got to learn it all yourself. So you're answering them. You're probably doing it all at the start, but then you immediately find where you can add people in and systems. So then that comes in. Uh, let's say it's a cold lead. It's not, well, so I guess now how does the lead route its way through your organization and where, where does at that point, the lead get handed off to, let's say, an acquisitions manager versus where does it go in the bucket that the, the lead manager is in charge of that lead now? All right. So there's a thousand different ways that this can be done. And all of uh, most of our clients do it differently. But here's what we're finding is like the ideal situation. You've got somebody answering the phone and they're booking appointments like, yep. you know, they've been trained enough to identify if I've got a, somebody who's, you know, even somewhat motivated. Let's go ahead and book the appointment. Okay. Mm -hmm. The acquisitions, now, now it's a warm lead, yep. right? So their booking as many appointments as they can. Yep. 
Okay. The acquisitions person then can go in now that we have the identifying data. Now we know what the address is. We know about what, you know, the person, the ballpark of where the person wants to be. We understand mm -hmm. their level of motivation somewhat, right? Because yeah. you don't want to spend a lot. You don't want your intake person to be spending a lot of time on that. But now they can study it and they can say, okay, this is where we need to be. Now this acquisition person can call that seller back. Okay. And dig a little bit deeper if it's appropriate. So they can say, hey, you know, I just, before I come, I, I'm going to be the one that's going to be coming out to the appointment. Before I do that, I just wanted to go through these numbers with you a little bit. I've had a chance to really sit down and take a look at this. Now they can dig a little bit deeper. Yes, 30% of those are, they're canceling the appointment, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not done in a bad way. It's kind of like, hey, I don't want to waste our time or your time. We want to make sure that if we're coming out and taking your time up on this appointment, you know, that it's, it's, it's worth all of our time. Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense for all of us to, to, to make that kind of investment in time. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we're seeing is ideal, cool. you know, and then, they, and then that, that acquisitions person then runs the appointment. There's rapport building in, in all of that, you know, all of that happens mm -hmm. that way. So, so then everything else the lead manager takes on and like you said, make sure that they nurture and things like that. Cool. Yeah. So what, what, what does the nurture side of it look like? I know you've mentioned some of the modalities, text, phone call, things like that. Once it gets into that bucket where the lead manager is now in charge of okay, turning them to warm, what, uh, what do you find is working? All right. So let's talk about the lead manager's role in kind of the sales process. So first, the first thing is, again, um, taking as much of the admin tasks off of the acquisitions person as possible. Those are great tasks for your lead managers, guys. Okay. Um, you know, how can that lead manager make sure that the, the, the notes are properly documented for appointments, that kind of thing? Uh, your acquisitions people will be so happy to have something of an assistant, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, you don't want to call it that because you want to be careful not to have your acquisitions people tasking your lead manager with stuff. But gotcha. you know, they love it at the end yep. of the day. So we do that. Now, you know, the lead manager can do things like um, make sure that you're not missing phone calls. We see that a lot. Like, are you missing opportunity because the phones aren't being answered the way that they should? Or there's too many rings before a live answer or whatever. You know, they could be uh, looking at those things in the process. Once you get a no or a maybe, right? You need that lead manager then initiates whatever your follow-up sequence is. If you have one, great, and it's working for you, great. These are the kinds of things that, you know, as we perfect this lead manager role, these are the kinds of things we're testing because what we're finding is that different lead types respond differently. So, you know, you might have a better follow-up sequence on a probate lead than you do on an equity, equity lead. You might gotcha. follow up with those different. But the, point, the main point being, somebody needs to be touching those leads. And it could be as simple as saying, hey, we're just following up and making sure that um, there's nothing that you need. We're here if you need us. We continue to be here if you need us. Is there anything that we can do? You know, mm -hmm. or did you sell that home? And then, you know, once somebody goes, home is sold, I don't own it anymore, absolutely, call it yeah. dead. You know, but up, up until that point, all of that represents opportunity to your business to continue to attempt to monetize that lead mm -hmm. in a really big way. I love it. I love yeah. it. So are, are, are you finding certain cadences of follow up? Like, uh, is it kind of, let's say, I mean, is it a monthly follow up? Is it kind of what, what are those stages? If someone was to create their follow up campaign right now and go, okay, I'm going to set this in place with my lead manager. Here's what I want them to do. What would be the high level plan that you'd give them? So we're talking about things that didn't, you know, we didn't immediately go under contract. Mm -hmm. um, th the truth of the matter is, oftentimes this depends on the uh, team and um, 
their ability to follow up and you know it's the same thing with leads you're not mm -hmm. going to mail out if, if, I've got, if i'm dealing with a one-man show i'm not going to mail out twenty five thousand leads all at once totally. it depends on how aggressive you want to get to because i have some clients who are like listen i don't want to be i want to do the follow-up sequence but i don't want to be super aggressive because i want to minimize um i have a big branding presence and i want to minimize uh people who are, are are not you know unhappy people yeah um yeah. texting is kind of big right now like texting mm -hmm. is really working uh, well right now people yeah. really like that um, but mostly you know following up by a by a phone until you reach them obviously if you reach them on Tuesday so what I would say is call them a couple times and make sure that you're doing it on diff at different times of the day if you're not reaching them at one time of the day reach them at another time of the day okay. um, most of our follow-up sequences uh, are you know two to three weeks after okay. um, if, if you don't have a time frame set because sometimes you have a time frame set we're closing on this day, so you follow up on that day. Yeah. But you know, two to three weeks after the lead, and then it could be up to a week um, sometimes thereafter. You kind of have to let the, the scenario play itself out. Um, but you're going to contact them. Make sure you're contact, contacting them at different points of the day. Um, people are really open to it, and they just mm -hmm. say, man, I'd love for you to follow back up with me on this day or whatever. It's just a matter of initiating that first point of contact, yeah. feeling the person out, um, you know, if, if they seem really not open to phone calls, you might put them into a text sequence or mm -hmm. an email sequence or yeah. a, even a mail sequence. You know, you might put them back into a mail sequence. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's a little bit uh, discretionary. Uh, these are things that you would definitely figure out. But, but what I would say is, you know, two to four times a week is not too much. Again, if you reach them on a Tuesday, don't call them on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, to, like you have to use a little bit of common sense. <laughs> like, hey. How about now? How about now? How about now? <laughs> so is that two to four times a week that you're reaching out for in perpetuity until they either become a deal or they say, don't call again or they sell the house? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You just cool. gave a perfect example. Alex Pardo, yep. rock star, followed up on that lead for 18 months. <laughs> yeah. I closed a deal in probate. I think it was two years. We sent a letter um, and when the father passed away, mm -hmm. uh, two years later, mother passed away. Mm. Kids called us two years later based on the letter that they had in their file from when the father passed away. Wow. Here's wow. the key. And this is, this is the, t this has to be the takeaway. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason why this happens is that people's level of motivation changes almost on a daily basis basis. Mm -hmm. It's why even with direct mail, you don't want to send your mail out at the same time every month because different people have different pain points at different times of every month. Mm -hmm. So when you're mailing and you're doing a mail sequence, you want to mail every five to six weeks, not every four weeks, because if okay. you mail every four weeks, you're always going to be hitting them at the same time every month. Gotcha. People's level of motivation change. Think about your own life. Mm -hmm. You know, what I want today could possibly, if my circumstances change and shift, could possibly change tomorrow. One of my handwriters, it's awful, but her husband passed away. She's young. She's in mm -hmm. her 30s. Her, her husband just passed away. These are the types of life cycles that we go through, you know, that one moment could make us feel one kind of way or need one thing and mm -hmm. the next moment our, our needs can change like that yeah. you know and if you've got all of these people that you're taking care of and you're nurturing the truth of the matter is i think you're doing a disservice by not constantly saying hey can we help mm -hmm. and just gently and kindly has something happened that has changed that you know now allows us to help you mm -hmm. i love it
I love it. Well, Christina, this, this, this stuff's awesome. I know we could talk for hours longer. Um, that slide, maybe I'll bring you back on a carrot cast and we can like even dive in deeper on some of these. Cause is it the one, one of the reasons I want to bring you on is because in 2019 and 2020, 2021, this stuff is going to be more important than ever. I mean, it truly really is. It's, it's as there's more investors out there um, in, in, in the market. I don't look at it as competition. It's Bo Hollis mentioned. It's like, that's time for collaboration, right? It's like, well, let's, let's collaborate with investors more. But this stuff is the way that you stand out. Even here at Carrot, okay, this isn't just for investors. If you pull back to our company and the software side of things, that's one thing that we're doubling down on. It's like we've been pulling a lot of low-hanging fruit over the years. And we're going, man, we really need to let's add more value through follow-up more. And let's, let's make sure that we are clearly knowing uh, and, and, and being in front of them when they have that need that we can help them with. And also creating the need. And maybe they just don't really know that we that they need us because they don't know exactly what we offer, and that's when we get to follow up through content and education and do that. It's no different with the investor side of things, y'all. So if you're seeing any pinch happen, or if you're seeing how do I take the massive opportunity ahead of us in 2019, which is a huge opportunity in 2019, um, a lot of it's going to be with follow up. It's with dialing in and knowing your data, like we're seeing at the start. That doesn't matter if it's direct mail, cold calling, uh, online, all that stuff. Um, Find the methods that are working for you and know your data and then go deep on the ones that are working best for you. Um, and the truth of the matter is, um, you know, what, let's, let's go full circle to what mm. we were talking about in the beginning about automations. As, as yeah. this starts to feel overwhelming, and I, I bet some of the stuff that we're talking about is going to feel overwhelming to somebody like, how mm. am I going to implement that? Am I going to do This is exactly the, these are the tasks that we're saying that you should find a way to, to, to automate yep. um, because it should feel overwhelming to you. That's not your genius zone, right? Mm. So yes, you should have your lead manager study your deals. You shouldn't be studying your deals. It's a high value task, but that's the, that's the exact kind of task that is worth your time to say, let me allow somebody else to do that. Let yep. me have somebody else dig into my buckets. Let me have somebody else analyze my deals. Let me have somebody else analyze what happened in that pipeline mm. um, so that you can stay in your genius zone, stay in your lane, you know? I love it. So, Christina, where can people find, if they want to work with you on the direct mail side or the, the virtual lead manager side of things, where can they find a work, where can they work, work with you? So, there's postalimpact.com, uh, yeah. and that's the website for the um, probate leads if you want to get probate leads or direct mail. Um, virtual lead managers is where you can find information, and, and they're, they're somewhat tied together, but virtual yeah. lead managers with an S. Uh, is where you can find out a little bit more about if you're if that's resonating with you. You can find out about what what we, what we do, but frankly, we you can also find out some of the things that we're pushing out there because as yeah. we get the data, as as we work with more and more people, and we understand what sequences are working best in certain instances and that kind of thing, we're trying to push that data out to you guys mm. um, and make sure that we're sharing the global economy of data with you um, because that's what's going to make you better like mm -hmm. once you once we do this enough you know we're all going to get really good at what we do so please feel free to go to either one of those websites uh, and check out what we have to offer you um, and find out a little bit more about us we'd love to work with you I love it Christina appreciate the heck out of you so pumped about what you're gonna be doing in 2019 and let's make sure to close the loop uh, so we can like we need to get the date our data out too and share it with you and, and go okay what what do you see that we don't and vice versa. And let's yeah. see if we can't, can't create this competitive advantage that uh, no one else can crack through. So we've got some big data. On yeah, both, we're both clients, sides. by the way, guys. I mean, like I said, they I'm are. an investor yeah. and we are carrot clients. So I'm telling you, this is like the dream team. Like, <laughs> I love it. Do it. I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, everyone, we're going to take a short break, come back here in a few minutes uh, for, for the next guest. And make sure you block off the rest of the day for the Market Leaders uh, Summit. And if you can't, like I said, the recordings are, are available. Just check them out below uh, if you can't check it all out now. Thank you for seeing. Have an amazing rest of the day. 
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If it's going to help you grow your business, make sure you go to carrot.com slash summit, grab the recordings while they're still available for 50% off 99 bucks. That's carrot.com slash summit. If you enjoy the carrot cast, hit us up on Instagram, hit us up on Facebook, drop us a message. We'd love to chat. Love to hear your feedback on the episode and what you think, what you want to hear more of. If you regularly listen to the carrot cast and you haven't got the chance to leave us a review on Apple podcasts or iTunes yet, please head over there and just take a couple minutes to leave us a review. That is our fuel. That is what keeps us motivated and excited about putting these episodes out every single week and engaging with you guys. So thanks again for being a listener and we will see you next week.